0: Fans and welcome to the round 21 edition of Don the Stat. A spirited fight back on Saturday night saw Essendon fall two points short of the Swans to make it seven times in the last eight meetings that these two teams have finished within two goals of one another. It makes the finals task all the much harder, but with the Eagles at Docklands to come on Saturday, we have a big chance to get ourselves back on the winners list and regain some confidence heading into the final three games thereafter. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and I'm very, very pleased to welcome back my co-host, Dan
1: Hume. Hume, more important than footy results, mate. How are you feeling? Yeah, look, I'm I'm still quite drained at the moment, but I'm, I'm definitely on the mend from the pneumonia. Um, I really want to uh, say thanks to everyone who who sent through a kind message while I've been recovering. It's, it's something that's really helped get me through it. So again, thank you to all of you there. I also want to have a big thanks to Andrew for filling in last week. He did a great job, and it gives me a lot to live up to this episode. How are you going, Jono? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, certainly health-wise um, in better
0: shape than you are, but pleased to hear that um, you're on the med, mate, and um, and on your way back to full health. Uh, but, yeah, good, mate. Uh, busy as always with work and life and everything else that's going on. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we can see a win this week, and that will certainly put a bit more of a spring in my step than I've had the last few weeks. Absolutely.
1: Well, just before we get started tonight, I just want to acknowledge that we've reached 99 reviews across both Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you add them together. So thanks to everyone who's either left us a star rating or written a review. We uh, really appreciate them all. Uh, even to the one person who gave us a one-star review, it, it does remind us that we're not perfect and we can always improve what we do. Uh, also, I'd like to give a shout out to James Miller and Tim for joining our Patreon this week. Thank you for your support of Don Stapp. Uh, has put out a couple of really interesting videos looking at how our forward line has been structured over the past couple of weeks. Um, If you're interested in checking them out, you can sign up to a seven-day free trial to the Patreon and have a look at the sort of great work that John has been putting together there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The support's overwhelming, mate. I think we've both got a reasonable idea who that one-star review came from. I I got some interesting questions. feedback from a a particular person on Twitter or X or whatever it is that we call it these days. who who wasn't too happy with my takes on on the ashes, but uh, you can't please everybody, I guess. But yeah, no, on a serious note, thank you to everybody for your support. And uh, if if uh, time allows, I'll, I'll I'll do my best to get it out before the game on Saturday, but it, it might have to be uh, post game. I, I would like to try and pull up some video of some of the things that we're talking about later on tonight in in regards to, or later on in the show in regards to. Some of the changes in the way that we're defending the ground um, doesn't always transfer on video as well as it does when you see it live. But if time permits, I'll, I'll get that up and, and let our Patreons know, um, hopefully before the game, if not
1: uh, in yeah, sometime early next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, well, look, let's get into the game against the Swans. And obviously, it was a much improved result in the past couple of weeks. But as you said, it was was a heartbreaking two-point loss, which is a pretty common occurrence against Sydney. Um, As always, we'll start with what our key thoughts were going into the match and how they played out. So the first thing we wanted to do was address scores from stoppages. Now we won the stoppages by seven, um, and that's actually our second best differential for the year after the Saints game where we were plus twelve at stoppages. So in terms of winning stoppage, we were doing quite well. However, we weren't really able to take advantage of that dominance. We generated four goals one from stoppage, but that was compared to the Swans three goals three. So in terms of actual results from stoppage, you know, it was pretty similar despite our numerical advantage in in winning the stoppage.
0: Yeah, we've been getting outscored from stoppages for pretty much most of the season. We average 15.6 points a game from stoppages ourselves, and we're conceding 23.3. So there's a, a differential of of almost eight points a game there. And we have to go back to the Eagles game in round 11 for the last time we won scores from stoppages and and just... For everybody's benefit, uh, when we talk scores from stoppages, we're excluding centre bounces here. So it's just scores from that eventuate uh, from a, a chain that starts at a ball up or a or a throw in. Uh, so yeah, round eleven was the last time we were on the positive of that ledger. Uh, Hawthorne in round one, St Kilda in round three, Richmond in round ten were the only other times. So what's that? Five times for the season we we've been uh, had a positive differential uh, at points from. Um, stoppages so you know that that was a positive. We did concede one more scoring shot so we got a little bit lucky that that the swans didn't convert uh a couple of their chances but yeah ultimately outscored them by four points. So uh, you know it, it was one part of the game that I did think worked you know pretty well for us. We coughed up two goals in the early in the third quarter from stoppages which were a little bit disappointing. we let some some of the Swans smaller forwards get out the back but other than that it was a um yeah, it was a pretty reasonable performance in that regard.
1: Yeah, something to build on there, hopefully. Uh, we also wanted to play a forward half game and, and really score from turnover in our forward half. So we were able to score 25 points from forward half turnover, four goals won, again, like we did from stoppage. Um, however, when you actually compare that to the Swan scores from forward half turnover, which was seven goals one, it, it's not overly impressive. It's actually our second worst result since the bye in terms of scores from forward half turnover after the Cats game.
0: Yeah, the, the scores as, you know, just on their own don't look good. And and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Obviously, you've got to put it on the scoreboard and and try and stop the opposition from doing it. But if you peel it back a little bit, we had 69 inside 50s for the game, which is nearly 19 more than our season average. And, and we restricted the Swans to 47, which is nine below their forward average. So, you know, that's a, a pretty big swing in terms of how the game was played. Uh, we created 40 turnovers in the middle of the ground and it's only the second time this season we've had more than 32 in a game uh, and and it's almost seven more than the AFL leaders St Kilda they averaged 33.3 or something um per game ju- just over 33 games so you know that, that's the number of times we've won the ball back from the opposition via turnover, by the way, not the number of times we've turned it over because we certainly did a fair bit of that as well. But uh, yeah, the, the, it didn't show on the scoreboard, which is unfortunate, and, and that's the ultimate aim. But we certainly got the game on our terms for a lot of it. Uh, we, we kept the ball in our forward half. We did get repeat entries. We, we turned the ball over in, in dangerous parts of the ground uh, or, or won it back off of Sydney. But Ultimately, our, you know, our forward line lost some structure, and and we lacked pressure at ground level, and we just weren't made, able to make the most of those chances.
1: Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of stats that really stand out that show just how much we struggled at ground level. So the first one is in terms of tackles inside fifty. We only had eight tackles inside fifty, despite having those sixty nine inside fifties. As you say, that's twenty two more than the Swans. That's a, in terms of. Inside 50 tackles per inside 50. That's our second worst ratio for the year after the first Port game. Uh, Menzies had three of those, eight, and, and no one else registered more than one. We've talked a lot about, you know, the small forward conundrum and and needing to, to figure out who's going to fill that role. And it's clearly something that the, the side is still working on going forward. We need at least two and, and maybe even three of those sort of players who are going to put that pressure on if we're going to be playing the sort of forward half game we think that they're trying to head towards. Uh, also, the, you know, we also only won 18 ground balls in our forward 50. So these are balls that they hit the ground in, in the forward 50. Uh, Langford won four, whilst our designated small forwards only won two apiece in, in Guelphie and Menzi. Um, now, you know, it, it did look quite bad. and It did, did seem like the Swans were rebounding quite easily. One thing I, I found interesting was... Um, it looked like the Swans, you know, were able to rebound at will, but their rebound 50 percentage of 76.8% was basically the same as their season average. So their rebounders didn't actually perform any better than they have all year. It's just that with our 69 inside fifties, we just gave them a lot more opportunities to, to rebound there. Um, I want to thank, uh, Antproc for those stats. I did ask him for those ground ball and the, the rebound 50 stats and he, he got them for me. So thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, 69 inside 50s is our, our highest for the season it suggests we were doing a lot right. It's actually the second highest inside 50 number any side has recorded this season. We've had four teams record 70 inside 50s uh, in a game this year. So, again, you know, getting the ball in that much means we were doing something right. It's just that in terms of being able to finish that work, we weren't quite as successful as we needed to be.
0: Yeah, the, the more times I, I watched the replay and, and watched various Parts of the game and and dug into some of the data. The, the more frustrated I got that we didn't end up winning, because uh, uh, yeah, that we did do a lot right, and even despite those opportunities that we gave the Swans to rebound, they they still didn't score a goal from end to end transition. So at no point in time did they take the ball from. Our forward 50 into their own and then then score a goal. They they did kick five behinds, which, you know, still gives them too many scoring opportunities. And, uh, you know, one of those was from a stoppage in our forward line that they took end to end, two from turnovers and then two from kick in. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the five scoring shots is still a relatively high number, but we're talking uh, about a, a high number of inside 50s that um, we didn't score from. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it it was a part of our game that it, again um we well another part of our game that where we did another a lot of things right we just weren't able to capitalize and um yeah we were able to stop them from from penetrating end to end more than than um than they got through which was which was a good thing but um yeah ultimately you go inside forward 50 69 times you should put a winning score on the board and uh, and we weren't able to do that
1: yeah. And I mean, again, you, know, you mentioned those 69 inside 50s, just the raw stats there. And, you know, as, as I said, we've been looking to play that that forward half game. They're really encouraging for, for that sort of game. You know, 22 more inside 50s in Sydney. We had six more centre clearances. We had seven more stoppage clearances. We had 23 more contested possessions. Those are, those are big differentials. Um, and it's not something you're always going to be able to replicate, but are those indicators that part of what we're trying to implement is working?
0: yeah, I think so. I, I don't want this to be perceived as us unnecessarily trying to find positives because it was a game that we should have won and and we blew that opportunity and that's disappointing. But you know we we most definitely like to look more at uh, we're a team that's that's obviously trying to build. We're not the finished product, we've got some some young players and and that was one of the more inexperienced teams we put out of the park this year. I think we had eight players under fifty games plus uh, Caldwell and and Perkins who have only just um, tipped over the, the 50 game milestone. So, you know, 10 of our, our players had played, you know, sort of 55 games or less. Uh, but even that, aside we we should have won the game but uh, what I'm really trying to to take out of this season is how we're playing and, and what we're trying to do and and identify whether that's taking us towards a, a brand or, or style of football that is going to be sustainable is going to stack up more often than not against good teams and, and as our our playing group matures and develops will it you know will it ultimately turn us into a finals and and a, and a winning finals team uh so if we look at, at some of those numbers, there's been 171 games played this season uh, in total across the AFL. 33 times this season a team has had plus 20 or more inside 50s and they've lost just four times. So so we had plus 22 uh, and and we're one of the four that has lost. It. So it, it gets you a win 88% of the time. 58 times in those 171 games, teams have had, plus 20 or more in contested possession and they've won 40 of them. So 40 of the 58 times teams have won 69% of the time. And then 37 times a team has gone plus 12 or more at clearance. So I've added center clearance and stoppage clearance as one here. And they've won 23% of the time, sorry, 23 times, which is 62% of the time. So, uh, and then if we add those three metrics together, there's only been six times this season where a team has gone plus 20 or more for inside 50s, plus 20 or more for contested ball, and plus 12 or more for clearances, and they've won four of the six, and the wins were huge. The wins were by 48 81 81 again and 71 points two of those were games against the West Coast Eagles where teams just beat them up uh, quite substantially so it gives you a little bit of context of how dominant we were in in those parts of our game and then the losses were Melbourne by two points against the Giants. And that was a game, if, if people remember, that was played up in Alice Springs and it was in really unsavory conditions. The final score was 47 to 45. So it wasn't your yeah, your typical style of AFL game and, and one that Melbourne should have, you know, obviously won. And then us against the Swans on Saturday night where, where we also went down by two points. So if you... If you didn't know the scores and you just looked at those raw numbers in some of the key parts of the game—contested ball, clearance, and inside fifties—and and see how much dominance we had in those areas, then uh, then ultimately you would have expected that we won the game, and not just won it, but won it quite comfortably. But we just uh, we made too many mistakes in our back half and gave the ball back to the Swans and allowed them to score from it. And then we made too many mistakes going into our forward half out, uh, and and weren't able to capitalize on those opportunities.
1: Yeah. And just before we sort of move off the Swans game and to, as you sort of say, to not, you know, dwell too much on, on the positives when we are talking about a loss and a disappointing one, let's talk quickly about the, the lapse in the second and third quarters where Sydney kicked seven goals in a row. Could you say a clear explanation for it? Was there something that, that stood out to you in that that period that led to that run of goals for the Swans or was it just a combination of things? Yeah, I don't think there's any one reason for it. This is a problem that has plagued Essendon for
0: a long time. And I th- I haven't crunched the numbers on it. And if I get some time uh, in the next week or so, I'll go back and do it. But, uh, you know, Geelong game was obviously horrible. Uh, Bulldogs game had, uh, you know, some moments of good and and some moments of bad. But we, we've been pretty reasonable at not allowing teams to get big runs on us this year. There was obviously the Pies... It, um, on Anzac Day as well. But but by and large, you know, for something that was been a really big problem against us the last two years at least, if not longer, it, it hasn't been all that commonplace this year. Um but the first thing that's worth recognizing is is after the Swans kicked that first goal in that chain, Hobbs and Nick Bryan both missed shots and, and kicked behind. So we had an opportunity to take momentum away from them right at the very start and and we you know we, we missed a couple of opportunities there. And then for much of the second half of the second quarter, we just couldn't get our hands on the footy or at least not control it. We just gave it back to them when we did get it. We went long periods of time in that second quarter, barely taking an uncontested mark, which has been our method to to break up momentum, get the ball and then slow play down and, and, and you know, grind the ball forward. And, and we just weren't able to do that. And, and when we did get it, we, you know, we kind of just gave it back, didn't we? And then the third quarter started the same way. We weren't able to get our hands on it. Uh, Swans kicked two goals from stoppages early in that quarter. And and then there was a long period after it where we, yeah, we we're as much the same. We we just, when we got our hands on it, we just lacked some composure in the back half and and we continued to give the ball back. And uh, there were times where we really tried to run our way out of it instead of what we saw earlier in the year where we, we maintained some really good com- composure and, and, and chip the ball around. And, you know, perhaps it's partly personnel in, in this one game. I, I thought Dyson Heppel was the only one that really showed some real calmness and composure with the ball in hand. He he didn't seem to panic at all. And, and you know, maybe if Ridley was there, uh, you know, in a game that we lose by two points, you'd probably think that he might have done enough to to turn a couple of those uh, defensive chains into, into something more and then... You know Kelly playing on a wing role. I think robbed us of that hard running wing target. He he just didn't know how to find space offensively. That that Nick Martin and Times Durham does really well for us. So so we missed that. And then that connection that we've spoken about previously with our half forwards was, was fell apart once again. And you know in that period. We didn't see Gouelfi or, or Snelling once he got stumped, subbed onto the into the game, or, or Menzi get up the ground too often. I thought Menzi did it really well early in the game, and and then fell away in that regard. So, um, so yeah, that that fell down again. And, and yeah, I think for me, most of the damage really happened in that second quarter. The Swans kicked five goals from our turnovers, and and we only scored from twenty two percent of our forward fifty entries. And yeah, we sort of had the opportunity to to not allow that chain to be
1: anywhere near as big as it did and, and we sort of blew it. And, you know, chasing our tails. From there, we did, we did most of the work to get back there and, and just couldn't quite finish that off. Oh, look, before we, again, before we end on the Swans game, I think it's only fair that we should congratulate Buddy Franklin on his stellar career. Look, as Essendon fans, we know better than most opposition clubs just how destructive a player he could be. And, and even when he was dominating us, he could still sit back and, and marvel at things that he could accomplish on a regular basis that the majority of other players couldn't get near.
0: Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm sure he'll be listening, won't he? Um, but, yeah, even though he he dominated us for years, particularly as a as a Hawthorne player, probably more so than a Swan, Um although he did have his moments obviously in the red and white too it it was just a real privilege I think to to watch him in full flight as as often as we did and if you take the the red and black face paint off uh yeah we got the opportunity firsthand to see one of the all-time greats play at his absolute best and it's a bit of a shame that it finished the way it did uh but he he leaves the game uh you know with, with a legacy that's bigger and better than most and and Brandon Zirk Thatcher gets to to end his career when it does end as as being the man who kept Buddy Franklin goalless in his last ever game. So, uh, yeah, shame that we
1: won't get to see him go around again. But, yeah, what a career. Yeah. And just to build on that, um, would like to also point out that across Buddy Franklin's career against Essendon only, one time was he held goalless across a full game, and, and that was by Michael Hartley in that uh, otherwise terrible game against the Swans with the Gary Rowan mark in the in the final seconds to to win them the game, although uh, I do also want to point out that Buddy kicked six behinds in that game without actually kicking a majors. But Michael Hartley is is the one that, that kept him goalless. All right, well look, let's let's move on. And you know everyone's uh, everyone's messages on on Wednesday, if you, if you remember, uh, certainly bright and mood after the result on on Saturday when we heard about the debut of Elijah Sardis, who um, will be coming in for his first ga- AFL game against West Coast. Um, Obviously, he was pick five uh, from the 2022 AFL draft. He'll actually be the last of the top 10 to make his debut. Um, Obviously, that's due to his injury he suffered at the start of the year. So really exciting to to get someone of his quality out there and see what he can do. Um, he has been able to play seven VFL games since his return from injury. And then through those games, he's averaging 25 disposals, uh, 3.6 marks and 4.3 tackles. Um, he's mostly been playing in the midfield and has also been really effective in the clearances. Uh, my hope is he'll start in the middle first bounce or I'll, I'm sure they'll more likely ease him into it. Yeah, it's exciting, mate. We've been waiting
0: for a while, but you sort of touched on it. He, he had an, a long injury layoff last year and, and then another one this year, he, he, you know, when you when you take someone at pick five in the draft or any pick in the draft really, but certainly your first rounders, you're you're hoping that they're gonna be a, a generational player for you, that they're gonna play for 10, 12 years or, or more and and have long and, and successful careers. So there was never any real need to to rush him for, you know, up until the last few weeks, the team had been going, you know, pretty well as well. So uh, yeah, it's exciting that he finally gets his chance and, and he gets to come in having now played a few games in the VFL against men and 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 senior bodies and and hopefully with some confidence and and translate that into into AFL level uh the other exciting thing too is i mean they're not They're not Bonson Pally size or Crips size, but very few of them are. But, you know, Archie Perkins, 188 centimetres. Sardis is 187. Both are are powerful, you know, explosive players. Perkins, we've seen how he can use his hips to get himself out of trouble and and create some space. And Sardis has that real explosive acceleration about his game. And then, you know, add Ben Hobbs in there, who's a bit of a dog with a bone at a contest, as is Caldwell. Uh, So I hope we see... You know, a, a centre bounce rotation at least at one point of time of of Perkins, Sardis, Hobbs with Nick Bryan in the ruck. It would be, um, yeah, it would be a, a real nice moment, I think, for Essen fans to see the future on display. Uh,
1: yeah, all at once. Yeah, that that would be super exciting. And yeah, you know, against the bottom team, it's probably the best time to to experiment with that sort of stuff there. Oh, well, look, we're going to be doing a bit of a, a deep dive here and this, this will go on for a bit of a while. And, we've you know, we've had a, a significant amount of games now post-buy and, and, and since, especially since we've also seen the change in the style that the team is trying to play. Um, so we want to look really in depth at what's been going on pre and post-buy and do a bit of a comparison there and, and try to provide some context for what's been happening and, and maybe why the results aren't quite going our way. At this point. Um, so look, if you go up to the buy, Essendon played 13 games. They won eight and lost five. Uh, in that time, they had a percentage of 110.6. Uh, in the six games since the buy, Essendon has gone one win, five losses, and a percentage of 76% in that time. So look, there's a there's been a fair bit of despondency amongst Essendon fans over the past few weeks of the way things have gone. I do think it's fair to be frustrated that things haven't worked out as much as well as it could have. However, I think all the talk of wasted seasons and holding funerals for the year is way over the top and doesn't actually reflect what's happened this year, as well as what potentially could still happen across the remaining part of the season. And look, yes, we've dropped from 5th to 13th across the last three weeks, but that has as much to do with the tight nature of the competition as it does with our own form. You know, if that happens in another, you lose three in a row in another season, you know, you may only drop from 5th to ninth or something like that there's every chance that if we're successful in the next two weeks, we'll be back in the eight with our destiny in our own hands across the final two rounds of the season. That's a really exciting place to potentially be. Uh, We thought we should look into what's changed from pre-buy to post-buy and and try to provide some context about why the results have shifted somewhat. Um, And as I sort of said, the big shift has been in the game style we've been trying to play. So if you go back to early in the season, we were really prepared to make the ground big. We were big on defending the corridor, uh, teams were allowed to move the ball around the wings, and you probably would have heard Essendon being the easiest team to move the ball against, but that was because we wanted to make teams take the longest route to their forward 50, which would give our defenders time to get in position and then repel attacks. And because we controlled the corridor, this meant that when we were able to rebound from defensive 50, it was a much easier process because we are able to go up the middle of the ground before the opposition could set up, and that allowed us to generate scores because it also meant that our forward 50 wasn't as congested and you could find targets a lot easier. Now, obviously, you know, eight and five, it wasn't always successful, but it did give us a winning record. That said, history suggests that if you're defending the ground from the back, it's not a premiership winning strategy. Now, Collingwood does it a fair bit, um, particularly last year, not as much this year, but they still have elements of that. And I guess it remains to be seen whether or not that that's going to be a successful method, but, um, But for me, it invites too much pressure and and the best side to be able to shut down the rebounds to generate their own repeat entries. So you can see there's been a clear shift in Essendon towards trying to play a forward half game. They're trying to put a lot more pressure on the ball carrier as they exit 50 and to try and cause turnovers um, to generate our own repeat entries. So if you you see that working at its best, it's probably more likely to be a premiership winning strategy than what we were doing pre-buy. What it does mean is that while we're adjusting, we can be vulnerable to counter So we did see a lot of that against the Swans with their halfbacks generating a lot of their attacking moves. Or so as we pointed out, you know, they didn't actually kick a goal from defensive 50. It still felt like they could move the ball quite easily. And I think as we're developing this forward half game, that's probably going to happen a lot until we we learn more about where to run and we identify the players that can best provide that pressure to stop them from moving the ball that easily. Yeah, it did. the Collingwood comparison is an interesting one and, and it's
0: something that a lot of the the analysts in AFL Media Land at the moment are, are putting up as a big question mark against the Pies and and in terms of their ability to go on and win the flag this year. And it'll be interesting. teams tend to try and replicate what premiership teams do. And uh, you know, the if the pies do go on and win this year uh and they uh, you know, Melbourne and and Port are, are probably the the direct opposite of them in terms of the way that they play and, and defend the ground. uh you know, maybe we'll see a bit of a shift in the competition and, and one we might be ahead of the curve on given the way that we did play uh in the first half of the year. but but clearly things are starting to change and, and how has that played out statistically when you compare some of the pre and post buy stats?
1: Yeah. So, look, pre-buy, we were scoring 89 points a game and, and conceding 81. So, since the buy, that shifted to 73-4 and 96 against. So, in rough terms, we're scoring around uh, three less goals per game and conceding three more. It's a few points off, but you know, roughly that amount. We're actually conceding less inside 50s than we were pre-buy. So, it's down to 53 from 56. But that's also meant that team's actually scoring more efficiently, so it's gone up from forty-seven percent to fifty-point-four-five percent across the post-by rounds. Um, so, if you looked at that uh, opposition inside fifty efficiency, if you, you average that, if you took that across the whole season, that would be the third worst after West Coast and North. So, pretty poor in terms of allowing the opposition to score. Our clearance numbers have remained relatively similar, and our contested possession differential has actually improved. It's gone from minus three-point-nine to minus zero-point-five. Um, And despite what it may feel like we're actually averaging less marks per game, we're down from 103 pre-buy to 99 post-buy. So we we are actually probably struggling to contain and control the ball as much as we were pre-buy. We are generating a similar amount of marks inside 50, but we're conceding 1.5 more marks per game in our defensive 50. I think, again, that comes down a lot to the fact that we're allowing teams to get better entries than we were at the start of the year because of the, the shift in the nature of the defensive profile. We are tackling at a similar level, but we're also being tackled far more. So the tackles against are up from 47 to to 58 in the post-buy period. Um, The big concern for me is that considering we're trying to play a forward half game, our tackles inside 50 have actually dropped from 11.3 per game to 9.17. And that's despite the fact our inside 50 numbers are fairly similar pre and post-buy. So I think that's one of the big issues that we need to address going forward if we're going to play this forward half game. Um, Also again, because we're, we're playing a forward half game and it's more likely that the opposition will have, you know, a congested de- defense. Um, we're turning over the ball a lot more than previously. We've gone from 67 turnovers per game to 72. So a few numbers there and a few concerning numbers, but also clearly identifiable things that, that can be worked on um, in terms of structure and skill and personnel that, you know, can lead to improvements that will improve results over time.
0: Yeah, you You've touched on skill and um, and personnel and and structure there. And and I think that's what we're now starting to learn more than we did uh, in the first part of the season. I think in the first part of the season, whilst we were playing some really good footy, uh, uh, and it it probably papered over some cracks in in the way that we were defending and and getting numbers behind the ball. And and whilst that was good for for win-loss, and I think it gave us some confidence as well, uh, and, and it probably protected some of those younger players a little bit, and it allowed us to introduce them and get games under their belt. Uh, it it. Yeah, it probably gave us a little bit of a sugar rush and and now we're starting to find out where some of the gaps are. And, and I think ultimately that's a good thing in, in terms of how we've gone or how we do go forward and some of the list decisions we make and, and how we structure up our forward line, what our forward our front six looks like, what, what are the capabilities we need to, to really be able to play this style of game. I, I've taken a, a look in, into some of the numbers, key numbers as well. And uh, and there's a little bit of a double up with some of the ones that you've uh, read out, Hume. What I've actually done is I've, I've taken the Geelong game out of the post-buy numbers. And I haven't done that because I'm trying to, um, you know, gild the lily or anything. It, it was a horrible performance. And, uh, you know, I'm still having nightmares about being down there in the freezing cold and, and watching it. But, we were we were so well beaten in all facets of the game that it's a real clear outlier, and I think having it in there doesn't give us the the full source of truth. We got well beaten by the Bulldogs too, but we did have the same number of inside fifties, and and the bulk of our scoring came from front half turnovers. Whereas in the Geelong game, uh, you know the, there was just nothing that worked, and, and and I think it it it's a little bit detrimental to to look at it. Um, and, and then if we look at the five games post by besides that it's a good sample size of teams that are around our mark or or better than us so we've played Fremantle, who you know they're 15th but they're now only one win behind us poured a second on the ladder the crows were i think they're fifth or sixth when we played them uh, and now sit above us on percentage the bulldogs are eighth and the swans are 10th so you know th- there's no data in these numbers where we've you know um Played West Coast or North Melbourne or Hawthorne and and sort of beaten up on them and and it makes it look any better than what it is. I I think it's a good sample size. So pre-buy, we had a real problem at the contest. We were minus 2.8 for contested possessions and we lost contested possessions seven out of our eight games leading into the buy. So we were were just getting really beaten up in that part of the ground. Uh, And Partly also why we needed that structure behind the ball because we weren't able to, uh, we didn't have a lot of trust in our ability to win our our fair share of, of contested ball. Post by and again, I've taken that Cats game out in the other in the other five games we've lost it by three against Fremantle and by thirty against the Dogs. So we got beaten up there, but we've gone plus nineteen against Port, plus sixteen against Adelaide, and plus twenty three against Sydney. And and Darcy Parish obviously helps. Um, Yeah, he's come back into the side post-buy, but we've improved to plus five in contested ball, even despite that smashing against the Western Bulldogs. So a part of our game that was broken uh, and wasn't working uh, well enough for us pre-buy, we had that set up behind the ball, a a receding defense. It didn't really allow us to get that defensive set up above the ground, sorry, up the ground because we weren't getting any territory. We've we've addressed that, and we've now got a, a more reliable, albeit still with room for improvement, um, a team who is capable of winning contested possession against teams that you know. There's a mix of teams there that are, that have been good and and not so good over the course of this season at contested ball. Then a lot has been made of us being a high kick and mark team or uncontested mark team, and and that hasn't really changed post bye um, and what hasn't been talked about was that we were also a high um uh, con- we conceded a lot of uncontested marks as well and that was largely due to what you talked about Hume that we were prepared to to give the opposition those wide uh, kicks take the longest path to goal we our defence was sitting back anyway so we gave them more ground to to work with but you know as as we've mentioned in previous episodes and and we've talked a bit about tonight and I think this change actually started to happen pre-buy, and it started from that North Melbourne game, or at least it was the first time I noticed it live. It might have happened against West Coast over in Perth. I wasn't there, but um, it's something that has um, that has has changed. We're, we're cons- we're, uh, we we've shifted our defensive structure up the ground, off the back of winning more contested ball, and we're actually now seeing the opposition
1: take less uncontested marks than they were previously. Yeah, so I, I guess sort of. Reflecting on that, how does that actually look when you when you go into the stats for that for those metrics?
0: Yeah, so so pre buy our opponents were taking one hundred and four point seven marks a game. Post buy that's dropped by eleven to ninety three, which is still quite high. Uh, so we haven't completely fixed that problem, and it's still part of the reason why we've we've lost some games. We, we're still not perfect in that regard, and we're still giving the opposition too many opportunities with ball in hand. But 104.7 marks conceded a game, ranked as 17th in the competition, or or second most marks conceded overall. 93.8, as I said, is still quite high, but that would rank us 14th. So, you know, it, it, it's an improvement, um, and but still with the with a way to go. We've increased the number of intercepts per game by four, and and that doesn't sound a lot, but if we maintain that over the course of a season, it's the equivalent of, of equivalent, I should say. Sorry. Of being ranked seventh instead of sixteenth, so you know we've gone from being the th- the third worst or, or or having the third least number of intercepts per game to now having the seventh most in in that five game window. So. Uh, you know, uh, creeping up in, in that regard. And and that means we're winning the ball back off our opposition more. Opposition turnovers have increased by 2.5 a game, which again, doesn't sound like a lot, but that would see us ranked. If we maintain that over the course of a season, that would see us ranked fifth rather than 16th. So we, we're starting to tweak some of the parts of our game that are going to be important taking us forward and, and are going to, uh, allow us to take another step forward, and 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 it's an it's another improved base. I think in the way we're playing to to be able to build on, and and most of this is happening um, in the middle of the ground between the between the arcs. We we talk a lot about mid zone turnovers, the, the number of time you win the ball back from your opposition between the two fifty meter arcs, and it's one of the metrics that was raised often early in the season about Essendon on. On shows like the first crack, and it's an indicator really of how good you are at winning the ball back at the contest, and also how good you are at, at pressing up the ground and winning the ball back before the the opposition's able to take territory back
1: off you. Yeah, so again, you know, how we looked at our ability to generate mid zone turnovers since since the buy. If you look at what we were doing pre buy. Yeah,
0: so at the buy we averaged. 26.5 mid-zone turnovers a game, which was ranked 17th or second last in the competition. We now average 28.1 uh, per game and, and are ranked 15th. So, you know, we, we haven't moved all that far, but we've come from a, a really, really low base. But in the five-game block we're looking at, we've averaged 32.6 per game, and that would rank us fourth in the comp if we were able to maintain that over the course of the season. And behind some really really good teams so so the three teams that average more than 32.6 per game are are St Kilda who's number one at 33.3 and we know they've built a really sustainable defensive game under Ross Lyon and then Port Adelaide and Melbourne a second and third you know two teams in the top four uh, on the ladder we've increased the number of times we've gone inside 50 by 1.35 a game not huge but we've more importantly, we've decreased the number of times the opposition are getting inside 50. So we were 17th or 18th, I, I can't remember now, uh, or 17th. Sorry, I can't remember because I wrote it down. Um, we, it's the difference between us being ranked 17th or, or conceding the second most number of inside 50s per game to now uh, over that window being ranked ninth. So again, 17th to ninth is a big jump. Now we've got another jump to get that from ninth up into the top four. And and what this has ultimately done is it's changed the profile of our scoring. We've gone from a team that was averaging 22.7 points a game from forward half turnover. So, so where we win the ball back off the opposition in the forward half of our ground, we've increased that now to 34.2 points a game. So yeah, what's that a, a 12 point um, or, or almost 12 point a game turnaround. And and that's despite some of the deficiencies that you were talking about, Hume, that are really important—our our lack of um, inside fifty tackles, our lack of of ground ball gets—we we clearly don't have the right personnel in our forward fifty at the moment to to really capitalise on that. But so much around it has got better for the better. Uh, and yeah, there's a a lot of good in the way that we've been playing. We're we're better at the contest. We're creating more turnovers in, in more dangerous parts of the ground. We're reducing the number of inside 50s that we're conceding. Yet, as you pointed out, our scoring has decreased and the scores against us has increased. So uh, we're not seeing it on the scoreboard, but I do think it's all related. And I do think this is all us shifting towards a more sustainable brand of football that – that's going to take a little bit of time and and I know we're running out of patience, but a little bit of time to, to bed down. And, and I think what we're seeing and I hope, um, and I'm touching wood, as I say this, we're getting a little bit worse
1: at the moment before it gets better. Yeah. The, you know, they, they do say that, you know, progress isn't always linear and, you know, especially as you're learning new, new ways of playing, you know, it has take time to adjust, but, you know, we've gone over a heap of data tonight. And hopefully people haven't zoned out of all the numbers that we've been, giving out there and hopefully it's provided some context for for what's changed. But I guess, you know, you always talk about trusting what you see. What has your eye been telling you over these past few weeks? Yeah. Well, the eye is
0: what's um, caused me to go and do or caused both of us to go and do this analysis. It, it's not um, us looking at the numbers to try and find some things to talk positively about it. It's very much what I've seen uh, at the games and, and then trying to look at the data to support it. So, to me, teams are getting over the back of us easier. So so what I mean is you know, we're seeing that our defense up high and, and an open opposition forward line to then work into. That wasn't happening very often in the early part of the season because our defense was retreating and we had numbers in, in our defensive 50 to be able to structure up and, and stop that. And we were seeing teams take shots in more – um, I guess, preferential positions for us. Hard, hard, positions on the ground that were harder to concede or, or to, to score goals from. And, you know, we, we saw that a number of times in uh, against the Swans last week. You know, if you think of the, the space that Amadi had to lead into, you know, Papley's last goal where there was no one, you know, uh, Kelly made that last second decision to drop off Papley and try and retreat uh, instead of just going up and, and closing down Papley. But there was no one in our defensive 50 at all. Uh, again, that just wasn't happening all that often early in the year. It's it, it's happened a fair bit more in the last few weeks because of the way that we've been trying to defend further up the ground. And and teams have gone from scoring 46% of the time, they go inside 50 against us to 49.9%. And, and in our losses against Frio, the Bulldogs, Sydney, and, and even Geelong for the matter, it's been over 50%. So one of the things that we were able to hang our hat on was, yeah, teams are getting inside 50 a lot but they're not scoring all that often. Now we're in a situation where teams are getting inside 50 fewer times, but they're scoring more frequently when they do go in. And And I think it's also had the opposite impact for us going forward. We're, because we're winning the ball back at the contest or, or further up the ground, means our attacking half is more congested, that there's still more players in there because they haven't come forward. Um, they haven't cleared out our forward 50. And, and I think it's why we're seeing – more dump kicks on on Peter Wright's head and, and more kicks inside 50 to outnumbers that, that we weren't seeing um, early in the season. I, I think I heard on the ESPN footy podcast this week that Peter Wright was targeted 19 times on against the Swans and it's the most any player has been kicked to inside 50 in a single game this year. And Look, I think there's a part of that that's Peter Wright and, and Langford not clicking yet in terms of how they work together as a forward unit and and sacrificing their game at times for one another uh, and and getting in each other's way. But I think there's also just a part of us um, winning the ball in, as I said, in more traffic in more congestion and then um, and not being as methodical or or the opportunity to be as methodical when we go inside 50. The Swans kicked 11 behinds on Saturday and we scored from four of our kick-ins. So, when we did have the whole ground to work with, we were really affecting at scoring because it opened up our forward line. We're still able to do that. We just haven't adjusted to our ball use to a more congested forward line. And, and as a result, we've gone from scoring almost 51% of the time. We've gone inside 50 to to now uh, in that five-week block, it's been 45% of the time. So, yeah, look, in summary, I think for me, we you know, we should have beaten Port. We should have beaten Sydney. The way we lost to Frio and Geelong and, and the Bulldogs was really, really disappointing. If if we did have two extra wins in that block and were three and three instead of one and five, we 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 might be feeling a whole lot better about life and 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 how we've been performing. And uh, you know, I, I agree with the sentiment that we've wasted a bit of a chance. Um, you know, had we we got those two extra wins, we'd we'd be. Um, in a in a really healthy position, but we haven't. But I also suspect this is what Brad Scott means when he says he won't sacrifice the long-term for the short-term. You know, we we probably beat the Swans if we set up defensively the way we did early in the year. But, you know, for me at least, I think if you peel back the layers on on what's changed in how we're setting up the ground, how some of the key areas stack up against some of the better teams in the competition, then I think when we exit this season – and we make finals or not, I, I do think we get a clearer picture of the areas that we need to address in our list and, and the
1: areas that we need to train on over, over the preseason. Yeah. And look, we have spent a lot of time on this and uh, I just want to have some final thoughts before we do move off. I think as, as I sort of said earlier on at the end of the day, we're all impatient for its success. It's been far too long. Um, I'm sick of being me- a mediocre club. You're sick of it, The Essendon football club being, you know, me- mid table mediocre and, you know, not really getting anywhere, but the problem with that is that the answer to not being mediocre anymore is not to push for quick fixes or, or be disappointed when, in the first year of a of trying to build something, you're not automatically successful. You, what I want, I want a stable club that is set up for long term success, and and that's going to take time and patience. And I think an understanding from from the fans and the supporters that improvement is not always linear and it may take three or four years for a successful culture to take hold. And You know, if so, and, and the fans can give this new regime a chance to put their stamp on the club, then the results should hopefully be worth the wait. there. And, you know, I, I think if we're still talking about this sort of situation in the middle of, you know, two years from now, say 2025, then I think questions are more relevant in terms of, are we actually heading in the right direction? But look, until then, as, as long as the signs are there, I'll be back in this, this coaching group to to take us towards Success and yeah, I think just as as a group, we just need to give give the people in charge time to do what they're setting out to do, rather than panicking and, and changing course midstream.
0: Yeah, I I think there's there's de- yeah you you make a lot of sense there, mate. There, there's a lot of really good indicators this year. There's some really frustrating ones, and and the the most frustrating one at all is that we're what is it one and five. Post by, but uh, but yeah, I, I think the the way we're playing has evolved and is improving, and we're just not quite seeing that in the scoreboard this week. And uh, you know, speaking of, oh, sorry, just yet I should say, but you know, this week is an opportunity where where we should be able to demonstrate it on the scoreboard and 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 get a win on the board. So so maybe that's the perfect segue to to talk about the West Coast
1: Eagles. Yeah, it's taken us a fair while to get to them because we were. Worry that we have, wouldn't have a lot to talk about with, with West Coast and we thought we'd do a deep dive in, in other things and, you know, now we're a fair way into the episode and we're probably just going to give a bit of a cursory look at at them given they are last. Um, we did play them back in round 11 and we won by 50 points, a really professional win, um, sort of kicked two more goals in them each quarter and, and that led to that level of win. Um Look, Since our last game against them, they've, they've lost a further seven in a row before winning that the last match against North Melbourne. That's included a 122-point loss against Adelaide, 171-point loss against Sydney, an 81-point loss to Brisbane, and a 71-point loss to Carlton. So their percentage has actually dropped from 55.4 when we played them down to 50.6. Across the season, they've conceded over 100 points in 14 of their 19 games, and they average 118 points against whilst only averaging 60 themselves. Um, They were second last in centre and stoppage clearances at the time we played them, and then they have actually moved to last in both metrics, um, whilst they're also last in contested possessions with a minus 18 differential. However, one thing that they have improved on the past few weeks is their ability to control the ball around the ground. They were last in marks differential when we played them with minus 11. That's actually improved to to minus 5. So there has been some improvement in their ability to control the ball, although they are still conceding eight more marks per game inside 50 to their opponents than they are generating.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot that that we can, yeah, really dig into there. That, that obviously the score on the board there and their wins and, and losses talks a lot about how they're performing this year. So uh, let, let's move right into selection and and have a
1: look at what's happened with, uh, yeah, with the the teams this week. Yeah, so look, Essendon, obviously, Elijah Sardis comes in. We've already touched on that. Um, out goes Alwyn Davy Jr. and Will Snelling, who who was a sub. Um the emergencies are Davy Snelling, Baldwin, and Wiedemann. Um Sardis is going to be the 34th player with you this year, and he's also going to be the 1192nd player to Don the Sash. Um he's been named on the half-forward line to see if that's where he ends up playing, but I think that's where they do like to ease these midfielders into into games there. Um obviously with Davy and Snelling. Going out, they've been named in emergencies and with Baldwin and Wiedemann being the other two, you'd expect that one of Davey or Snelling would be the sub. I'm, I'm hoping for Davey as that bit more you know, explosive, exciting player as opposed to Snelling who more solid and I don't think you really get a lot of advantage out of using him as a sub when other players are tired. Um, I think the most interesting thing for me is that they've still named a Backman. Again, Cox has been named at half forward like he was last week, but we saw him, him do quite a good job on Logan and McDonald last week against the Swans, um, they tried Kelly on the wing list last week and it didn't really work out. How do you think they're going to deal with those eight backmen um, this week?
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know to be honest. That the you know if we assume that Sardis is going to come in and play, you know, a bit of wing, a bit of midfield, and and maybe even a bit of half forward as well, then um, you know the outs uh, you know, don't really. Um, you know, sort of mirror up. It's not exactly like for like. But, yeah, I, I would hope that, that Dave is sub. But I wonder whether we might um – yeah, we, we might just see Kelly play on the wing again or, or play in other roles or, or there's going to be a late change. I, I don't know. I've been really bad at, at predicting selection and, and trying to make sense of it. And it's exciting that Elijah Stardust has come in. It's a bit disappointing that Alwyn Davy Jr. is out. I, I think he was, you know, he, he had some moments where he, he really lit things up. The the only other thing that might happen, made his Hind maybe moves to a wing or, or plays in the forward line and, and, um, and comes out of the back. Well, eight as you said um i don't know there's a fair bit of flexibility there I, I, i'm not really sure how it, how it might play out um you did touch on i know there's been a bit of talk about how we've been uh, we've used the second least number of players this year um uh, so 33 leading into this game and and this will put us up to 34 it's not that Indifferent to most teams, you know the the thirty four will put a sequel with a whole bunch of teams, and um, I, I think the the average in the competition is is thirty five. So it, it's not like we're that far away from from what most other teams have done, um, and you know no doubt we're, we're likely to see one or two more before the season's
1: out. Yeah, and. Look, just looking at West Coast, uh, there ins are Jerry McGovern and Josh Rotham, and, and out goes Dom Sheed, Rhett Bazo, and Shannon Hearn. Their emergencies are Winder, Foley, Clark and Jamison so McGovern's back for his sixth game of the year and, and Rotham comes in for his first game since round 12 uh Sheed's gone out injured whilst Bazzo and Hearn have both been managed for west coast uh Oscar Allen was listed as a test earlier in the week due to a jarred knee but he's seemingly recovered enough to play and, and he's obviously led the way for west coast this year kicking 43 goals and then, and then express his darling with 19 who's also playing this week
0: yeah, two defenders in Bazzo and Hearn come out of the side and then two in McGovern and Rotham come in. So, you know, pretty much like for like. Uh, Elliot Yo was their sub last week, so he stays in the 22 and and basically replaces Sheed. So, you know, yeah, pretty much exactly like for like. Um, of their emergencies, uh, Kellen Jamison, uh, he's, a, he's a local product. He's a 23-year-old, 201-centimetre key forward, drafted back in 2019, only managed the 13 games so far, and four of them this year. He he's probably the cover for Oscar Allen if he doesn't get up for that knee injury. Uh, I think it, it it yeah that that would make some some sense there that that maybe he's not quite 100% just yet, and, and they've got some cover in in their emergencies. Uh, Isaiah Winder is a 21 year old small forward. He's a he's another local boy. Originally picked 57 in the 2020 draft, so he's been around for a while without playing much footy. Played seven games, but hasn't been seen since 2022. Luke Foley's a medium defender, 189 centimetres, drafted from Subiaco at pick 31 in 2018. He's played the eight games this year. And then Greg Clark's another one from Subi. So four uh, local boys among their emergencies. He was drafted as a mature age midfielder in 2021. He's 195 centimetres, played 19 games this year, been the sub three times, including against us. So I think out of those uh, you know, assuming there's not a, a late change, um, I think it's you know Greg Clark's probably the most likely one to to be sub, and then just a couple of the other young players at West Coast that are, are worth looking out for. West Coast have their own Elijah from last year's draft. Elijah Hewitt was pick 14 in in the. 2022 National Draft. He's a really exciting forward-come midfielder. He's got real speed and energy, cuts through traffic really well, and, and has some tricks up his sleeve. Uh, so, yeah, ha- have a good look at him. I think he's one that that fans are going to enjoy watching as his career unfolds. Um, and then Brady Hoff is a player that I really like. He's 191 centimeters. He's really calm and composed. Reminds me a little bit of Dyson Heppel, can play through the midfield or at half back. And, and he's just one of those players that I think is is quite neat. He does everything well without being, you know, exceptional. He doesn't necessarily stand out, but just gets the job done. And then Noah Long is one I really like too, mate. He he looks like he's about 12 years old and and he, you know, he's he's snuck on the ground from the little league. He was picked 58 in last year's national draft and it's been a tough year for small forwards uh, at, at West Coast you know it's it's not an easy position to play at the best of times, let alone when your team's traveling poorly but he's got some real football smarts about him and uh, he's one of those don't count my disposals make my disposals count kind of player so um yeah he, he's one that I, I hope doesn't get too many opportunities this week but um, I think he's one that the Eagles fans can be excited about for the, for the future.
1: Yeah. And look, speaking of being excited, I, I mean, West Coast won their second game for the year last year. So they, they're coming off a pretty big, big high for them. Uh, they won against North Melbourne by five points. Um, they led through halfway through the first quarter until the final siren, although uh, they only managed one behind in the last quarter as North reduced a 32 point margin to that five point margin. Um, West Coast, you know, dominated inside fifties by 14, although they did lose uh, clearances by 13. Um, they did also win contested possession by 15. Um you know, they spread their goal kickers, Crips and Allen kicked to a piece. Um, and, and Tim Kelly led the way with 26 disposals and, and seven clearances while Jaden Hunt had 25 touches and nine score involvements. So look, they're coming off a win. We're coming off a loss. Um, even though they're the last, uh, play side, how do we approach this game? How much of a danger is there in thinking that this will be an easy kill?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of danger in that, mate. It, it, changes a little bit with um Hernout this week but we were younger and less experienced than West Coast were last week so uh, you know it's a big game for our leaders to make sure they really turn up to play that the, and that they bring the our younger players with them and 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 you know lift them up because i think if there's any level of complacency then uh, regardless of who your opposition is you can get found out pretty quickly in, in 2023 I think there's a there's an opportunity for us to make a bit of a stand here, and and that will probably get us labelled, you know, flat track bullies, and and that's fine. But confidence is a wonderful thing in football, and and you mentioned earlier, if we win our next two, then we're you know likely back in the eight, and then destiny is in our own hands going into the last two games against some some tough opponents. But if you just set your mind back a little bit, Carlton fans were abusing their own players after we beat them. They'd lost six in a row. Then they got the opportunity to play the Suns in Melbourne. They beat up on them. They played Hawthorne the following week and and beat up on them. And, and then they got themselves on a bit of a roll and and you know, now Carlton are talking flags again. And then the Giants were four and eight. They'd lost five in a row. They beat North Melbourne and then played Frio, who were really struggling at the time. Um, played them at home and and beat up on them, and they haven't lost since. So you know a couple of examples there of teams this year that have been able to get some confidence by getting good wins against you know poorer teams in, in favorable conditions and for us to get west coast bottom of the ladder away from home you know on our home deck i think this is much about restoring confidence in our group, getting some momentum back, as it is about anything else. But I also think it's important to win the right way. We want to make sure that we have our our disciplines in our defensive setup. We're disciplined at the contest that we that we have a balanced forward of the ball, and 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 we start to work on that and get that right. You know, this isn't the week to get ahead of ourselves, or or you know, look for cheap kicks or get ahead of the footy and try and get you know some easy goals over the top. It, it, it's not about that this week. We we have to win, win well, but but importantly, win the right way and then allow us to build on that going forward. Yeah.
1: Brought him up before when we were talking about selection, but Oscar Allen is probably the biggest threat uh, that West Coast will bring if he does end up getting up. Now, last time he hit four of West Coast, six goals. Zerk Thatcher played on him uh, in that last game. Do you think he gets first opportunity this week or is he is it better to start with Laverde? This week to to try something different. Yeah, I mean,
0: we saw the Verde on Amadi last week, and he really struggled, didn't he, with that taller, bigger um, opponent? And Jaden's done some really good jobs against guys that have been bigger than him. But I think BCT gets the job again. He got the repeat job on Hawkins. The coaches, you know, the, backed him in to to do it better and. You know, arguably he did. I think he kicked eight against us the first time and was it four or five the second time? So still too many, but it was an improvement nonetheless. So I, I think they'll back him in and, and then just ask for, a, for more help from the
1: rest of our defenders and, and midfielders. Yeah, just turning our attention to the Eagles midfield, um, who's the biggest threat that needs to be contained in your view? Yeah, Bailey Williams is
0: one worth touching on, mate. He, he's the one Eagle that I think has really elevated his game this year. He, he's been around for a while now. He's 23 years old and was drafted back in 2018, but he's had the opportunity to take the number one ruck spot. And I think he's done a pretty decent job in there. He's six in the AFL for hitouts, ninth for hitouts to advantage, and he's third in the AFL for ruckman for clearances. So, you know, he, he's doing a, a reasonable job in there in a team that's not going pretty well. So... I think you know Phillips and Brian are going to need to be on their game, and and um, yeah, good opportunity probably for for Brian more than Phillips to to play against a, a good opponent who's a little bit more in his age and weight category, and and yeah, you know, see what he's got. And then Tim Kelly's had a really good season. He's fifteenth in the AFL for total clearances. We know he can hurt outside the contest too. And then you know Elliot Yeo, whether he plays midfield or back or a bit of both or or on a wing, he sort of gets moved around a little bit. Um, even forward at times, but he's a player that's just played some of his very best footy against us. So, um, not one that I would take too lightly. But um, yeah, they're not without players through the midfield that could could trouble us if we uh, if we're asleep at the wheel and, and allow them to to
1: get on top of us. Yeah. Well, look, as always, we'll we'll start to finish up with our our final thoughts and you mentioned about our leaders needing to really bring the players along with them, but what's the most important thing that the coaches need to do this week in order to get the players up to playing the bottom side after having such a heartbreaking loss against the Swans the previous week?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I I think a a reminder of the opportunity to get the season back on our terms is an important one and I think the – the opportunity to in front of our own fans i think to to repay some of the faith and and give them a uh, you know give us plenty to be excited about and to cheer for i think is important too but i I think it's just more than anything getting back to the basics of the football that we're trying to play and and give the players some real kpis to hit um and
1: and expect that they go out there and and achieve those yeah absolutely well look That'll do us for this evening. Quite a quite a long show and, and in depth, particularly with the data there. But again, hopefully you, you've all got something out of that. Um Thanks for a great show and, and all the research that you did uh, tonight, Johnny brought a lot of really interesting ideas and, you know, perspectives there that I think, as I said, people are going to really appreciate. Um, look, as we said earlier, the season is still alive, but it will need to start with this, with this weekend's game against West coast. Uh, thanks again for everyone who's listened and, and spoken with us about the Dons this past week. It's always a lot of fun to do that. Uh, any final words from you, Johnny? Uh, just really pleased to have you back, mate. And um,
0: it's good to see that your health. um ticking along. Uh, what people can't see right now is you had to mute yourself to cough right as I said that. So um, timing impeccable as always, but uh, on a on a um, serious note, mate, I'm glad you're on the mend and, and feeling a lot better and it's good to have you back. So you look after yourself and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, the first Essendon player debut in number five since 1969 in Elijah Sardis
1: on Saturday and, and hopefully the Dons get up with a big win. Yeah, that was a great little stat nugget that you um you had there. You had it prepared for a couple of weeks actually, and you you finally got to use it. Um, look, as always, stay safe, everyone, and go dons.